Good morning, Lynn. Dan? Good morning, Ryan. How are we all? Good morning, Ryan. Good day, y'all. Good day, Steve. Good day, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the party. Good day, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been a hell of a morning so far. <laughs> started, started off with a dog getting up at uh, quarter to four, demanding to go outside. So I took the dog outside. She peed on the neighbor's lawn and then threw up on the neighbor's sidewalk and then took me to another, another neighbor's place and took a dump on their lawn. Nice. Yeah, it was, Lovely. Yeah, it was a great start to the morning. <laughs> This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, my name is Robin O, and I am joined today by Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hi. And Mr. Steve Barkley. Howdy doody, folk. I'm so glad to see you're okay, Steve. Oh, I'm just dandy. Yeah, I was I was a little worried about, uh, about last week's episode. You know, it's interesting. We got an email from a, a few listeners, and they were saying how funny it actually was because somebody got hurt so. yeah well listen so for anybody who did not hear our halloween episode uh last week um we had a little bit of fun we talked a little bit about uh some halloween topics we just sort of gabbed uh while uh steve carved a pumpkin and uh during the carving of that pumpkin i believe was it was it when you were when you were uh Still removing the, the top I, I got the I got the top off the pumpkin and I was cutting the uh, the, the crap off the bottom of the the top yeah and that's when I slipped and stabbed myself in the <laughs> right so so there's some blood involved uh, and uh, yeah apparently people enjoyed that show people enjoyed it <laughs> yeah, well all those people will be happy to know that I managed to slice into my tendon on my thumb oh. uh, so it's it's really sore now oh, God. And, uh, I've got quite an impressive scar Do there you? yeah yeah and, and of course chicks dig scars so I, I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be showing this thing off for years to come that's the heartthrob of the podcast now. <laughs> oh, that's funny uh yeah it was uh yeah. It was a good show. It was a good show. Um, <laughs> joyful, so, so now we know what we need to do to get our numbers up. Yep. Uh, yeah, and, and get some attention. But uh, yeah, so for everybody who did email in, uh, Steve is okay. Not that they were cared. Yeah, uh, they just they just wanted to tell us that they it was really funny. Yeah, in this episode, Rob's going to stab himself just for we'll continuity. See. We'll see. Well, you kind of agreed as long as it wasn't in the face. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> say a, I say a lot through email that I don't mean. So. Uh, no, it was a lot of fun, and we have to thank also Colleen Connor who uh, joined us for a while, and we have to let everybody know too that uh, she's also okay. Uh, she disappeared at the end of the episode, and we weren't really sure why. But uh, as it turns out, she just lost her power. So she she disappeared suddenly. We were a little worried. So yeah, it was a, there was a bit of a little bit of a Halloween p- episode curse going yeah. on. Yeah, 
but overall everybody's okay we're all here how, yeah. how uh that that halloween actually uh was was a little weird was it what weird, yeah. what did anything happen to you my my halloween ended up with a death really yes there oh, was a man. death on my halloween uh i was uh, i had a bunch of neighbors over after trick-or-treating we had every every year we do what's called the tunnel of terror right let's basically take our front walkway and cover it in, in a plastic tunnel and uh um, put all kinds of motion activated howly things inside there to scare people and uh our neighbors usually get about 200 kids you know we're in a townhouse complex lots of kids around uh, we get about 150 because well, uh, we, we, we knock off about 25% uh, <laughs> because a lot of the little kids won't come down the tunnel of terror. It's just too scary for them. So uh, anyways, after all the trick-or-treating's done, the neighbors come over to our place. We sit around, have a few drinks. And uh, I'm sitting here talking to one of my neighbors and all of a sudden I hear this snap and a squealing noise. And I go out onto my back deck and uh, cut a rat. In a rat trap, because we've oh. had rat problems around the thing, and, and it was still alive. Oh. Caught in the trap. Oh. Suffering. So I had to dispatch it manually. Yeesh. So, yep. Yep. There was a death on Halloween. Wow. And so now you have a taste for it. Very, very apropos. <laughs> Those traps, I don't know. I feel like a lot of that happens a lot. Well, they don't actually actually kill the poor guys. And yeah, they're, they're just... not they're not very humane. Those traps. Yeah, no. uh, you know they're uh, they're kind of nasty. I actually bought a different type of trap, which is like a clamp trap, and it's got these clamp tramp, a clamp not not, not a, a, a clamp. What am I thinking? <laughs> I don't know. What are you? Are you thinking of a tramp stamp? Tramp stamp. Yeah, there okay, we go. Okay, yeah. yes. okay so uh, it, it's a it's a clamp trap, and it it. Uh, it works a little bit differently in that you, the, the critter's got to get its head inside the thing yeah. to, to get at the food. Right. And then when it clamps down, it's got all these spikes on the top of it. Which right. Is, I guess, supposed to spike it in the head. But uh, it, it's been set off twice now and never caught anything. So, I don't mm. know. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Well, this got morbid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should have been talking about that on the Halloween show. Well, nothing was going on on the Halloween show. It wasn't until after. It wasn't until Halloween that it started to catch stuff. Okay. Well, let's get serious here for a minute because we have to plug something. Oh, we're going to talk about space and you want to get plug. serious? <laughs> That's right. Oh. oh, I get it. I get it. I you just got, got, got it. it. Yeah. I did. Uh, it. Uh, yeah. No, let's talk about the big show that we've got coming up next week, Ryan. Big show coming up next week. Ryan, why do you do this every freaking time? <laughs> like you just pretend that it's like, what? I, I don't know what we you're talking about. What's going on? What are you talking about? You've only been trying to get the guy on the show for two years. Stop, <laughs> All stop right. being coy about yes. it. All right. We are welcoming, welcoming Mr. Rick Hansen to the podcast. Going to be exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, should we give people the backstory real quick? Sure. Fire away. Oh, why me? You should you should have to tell the story. You're the one that that I was responsible the for the for the, the gaff. <laughs> now we've been uh, you, well. First of all, you know I, I feel like we have a lot of we have a lot of listeners in the U.S. Uh, who may not know who Rick Hansen is, and we also probably have a lot of younger listeners. Well, they should look him up. Uh, who yeah, who I mean, might not remember yeah, the incredible true. achievement that uh, that Rick Hansen did in the in the what is was it the late eighties. Yeah, so so um, Rick Hansen uh, started off his uh, Man in Motion World Tour 
uh, uh, Rick is uh, paraplegic. He, he uh, uh, lost the use of his legs in a truck accident, I believe. That's pick, right. Pickup truck accident. Yeah. Um, but he, he started the Man in Motion World Tour. Uh, he was inspired by Terry Fox, who, who uh, was trying to run across Canada to uh, raise funds for, for cancer. Um, but uh, Rick decided to take it one further, and he decided he was he was going to do a fundraiser uh, to to bring awareness to accessibility issues, and uh, he was going around the world. So he logged more than forty thousand kilometers through thirty four countries on four continents uh, before crossing Canada again. He started off at uh, at Oak Ridge Mall in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and uh, took off from there, and. Uh, and he came back and uh, very, very impressively uh, went up uh, Thermal Hill in Coquitlam, <laughs> which I was, I was just down that hill the other day, and it's like, wow, I, that's a steep hill, man. <laughs> <laughs> but by then, he'd already gone around the world, right? Yeah, so it's right. Like, what, what's yeah, that yeah, hill? Yeah, yeah, I like that hill, hill. I don't care. So, yeah, he just pounded up that hill and uh, got to roll downhill and touch his feet in the Pacific, and that was the end of the, end of the tour. So, and I, I don't even know how much money he raised on that, to, no. on that tour, or, or probably continues to raise to this mm-hmm. day with his foundation. So. Yeah, well, that's right. And then he went on, you know, after that to, as if that wasn't enough, he he did, you know, create the Rick Hansen Foundation, which is a, a pretty amazing um, foundation. It's probably what we'll be, we'll be talking about the most, mm-hmm. but they have all kinds of programs and they've been real advocates for, for um, inclusivity ac- and, and accessibility mm-hmm. um, and accessible design. Um, for years and years here, um, so it's it's incredibly exciting to to talk to him and and to talk about the w- the work that the foundation is doing and and just I don't know accessibility in general because I'd like to get his sort of his you know his his feedback and in, in you know how we're doing in in terms of uh, accessibility and universal design because you know we we've, we've we've certainly come a long, long ways since the the late eighties but you know mm. we we still have a long ways to go so. But we're incredibly excited because we thought we had him booked for the podcast <laughs> one day couple several of, years ago. A couple yep. years back. Yep. Ryan had, you know, done all the all the hard work as excited. our scheduler. He's like, yeah, I got Rick Hansen. And we're like, well, you got Rick Hansen? Yeah, yeah, this he's, is, he's this calling, was, calling in from California. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I had no idea he was down in California. Yeah, I did. I yeah. Yeah. knew. <laughs> And then, uh, so he was on the schedule, you know, Ryan had traded emails with him and he seemed to be very excited about being on the podcast, which he was very excited, which should have been a red flag right there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, uh, I think what was it? Did the day of, it was the day of, of I think an hour or two before the show was about to start. I noticed that the real Rick Hansen was actually, I think in Halifax speaking to a school. Yeah, as it turned out, uh, the day of, yeah, we uh, Ryan realized that 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 Rick Hansen was actually, yeah, at a school somewhere. What was he? He was a chiropractor or something, wasn't he? And Essential oils. No, 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 no. It wasn't even that, you guys. No, he wasn't was. It? A, I thought it was. No, he was. A, it turns out that the Rick Hansen that Ryan had been in touch with was a psychologist from California, I believe. That. Whose claim to fame was he's kind of mixing psychology with Buddhism or something, something very hoo hoo, <laughs> you know, a little, a little bit of uh, a little judgy there, Rob. Judgy. Well, I'm just saying it might not be completely grounded in hard science. 
That might be a little... <laughs> wow, we should reach out to him. But uh, yeah, as it turned out, that was the Rick Hansen that uh, we had scheduled yeah. because of uh, one Oops. little pesky letter in that in that Hansen name. That's right. It's amazing yeah. what an O versus an E can... That's right. So if you're blind and can afford it, or even if you can't afford it, start a GoFundMe page and buy a Braille display. <laughs> <laughs> It'll really help your proofread. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, so that that episode didn't really turn out... Um, but but finally, after two years of actual work, Ryan has managed to score us an interview with the actual Rick Hansen. That's so right. We're very excited. We won't mention that story to him, I don't think. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Although you might think it's pretty funny. Uh, anyways, so yeah, we're excited for that. That'll be, uh, I believe, next week we're going to air that. Make sure you... Uh, Tune in, tell your friends, or look up Rick Hansen. Get up to speed on his accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Maybe the get the correct doing. spelling of his name. <laughs> uh, S-E-N, not O-N. That's right. Hey, Steve. Yeah? <laughs> uh, what are we doing today? Well, today we're talking to uh, Lynn Langell and uh, Dan Oates from uh, Space Camp Sciviz. Space Camp for Interested Visually Impaired Students. Yeah, no, this is cool. Uh, this is something that we've been wanting to do for a while. Um but just scheduling has been a bit of a nightmare with these guys because they're so busy. I mean, Lynn's, Lynn's a, a, she's a vision teacher. She, she's a vision teacher. She coordinates space camp. Uh, she, she's got about 17 other hats yeah, that she wears. She's just so, such a dynamic, busy woman. She does the, the Children's Low Vision Project of British Columbia that I'm part of as well. Um, I mean, she, she's just sure. got a thousand things going on. And Dan, you know, Dan runs uh, the entirety of... Side for the visually impaired, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know he's he's you know pretty busy as well. So getting them both together on the same podcast uh, at the same time is uh, has been a challenge, but uh, we're excited to have them on now. And uh, you know this program, uh, it's so cool. Like it's it's cool in so many different ways. I mean, space camp itself is is a sexy enough thing, but uh, you know you watch. You watch some of the the media on on SciViz that's been covered, and you you look at the website, and you, it's real. It becomes real apparent real quick uh, how much of an impact that this program can have uh, on a visually impaired youth. Uh, you know this 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 program it's, itself. It's only a week out of the year. Yep. Um, but the impact that it has on the kids that that go to it um, is, is just it's a lifetime of implications. Well, you know, I don't think we should steal the thunder from Lynn and Dan. Why don't we bring them on and they can talk about it? I like it. I like this plan. Let's do it. Alrighty. Beep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, at long last, our much-anticipated space camp show starring Lynn Langell, the Canadian uh, space camp coordinator, and Dan Oates, the, I don't know, Dan, what what, what would you officially <laughs> call your title? Oh, I guess I'm just the Saviz coordinator, and that just takes care of the whole world. There you go. So tell us a little bit about the Saviz program and, and how long it's been around. Well, um, we started with our first group of kids in 1990, so this will be our 30th year upcoming in 2018. Wow. Um, we, uh, we, the West Virginia School for the Blind, was invited down by the uh, at that time, the director of space camp, Edward Buckby, and Ed and Ed is a Romney resident. He grew up here, 
where I live and where the School for the Blind is. And he sort of nodded to us to come down and try out the whole blind kid thing to see if that would work. And uh, we came down with 20 kids from our school, and then we grew from those 20 kids in the residential school here in West Virginia to about uh, 60 kids. There were 52 kids, I think, the next year, and they were from other residential schools. And then we grew out to eight residential schools in 92 um, and ended up with about 80 kids. And then at that point, we decided we'd take on uh, kids from the public schools since that's where most of the kids go, go anyway nowadays. So we uh, have grown up to as high as 211, and uh, this year we had 179 students from uh, 12 countries and uh, 25 states. Wow, crazy! And and Lynn, how many uh, how many are coming from Canada now? Uh, well, this year we took six students um, from British Columbia and one from Alberta. And that's, those are low numbers compared to past years. We've had, um, we've had many, you know, higher numbers from several different provinces in past years, but it all comes down to, you know, fundraising and getting the word out and finding the appropriate, um, you know, students and teachers who are willing to commit to this, um, this program. Cause it's, you know, it's a year long commitment really from start to finish by the time you begin your fundraising and, do all of the procedures that are involved to get there and then sort of the wrap up at the end. Could you, could you kind of walk us through a little bit of, of what that, of what that process is like for a, for a kid who maybe has, has applied? Well, in Canada, um, basically, um, I'm, you know, I spend a lot of time trying to reach out to we, you know, going to conferences and getting the word out through different provinces, provincial programs about the about the camp. And by now, a lot of, you know, because it's we've been participating for 21 years now from Canada. And um, a lot of people are familiar with the program. And we do have different, you know, like the Maritimes have been coming sort of every other year in the, historically. Um, so everyone connects through me and Primarily, a lot of our fundraising goes through the Canadian Military Police Fund for blind children. Um, we've received over $300,000 from them in the last 20 years wow. for this program. So it's it's huge. It's a great partnership with them. Um, we have a regular sort of uh, procedure with them for when our applications will be viewed at one of their board meetings in the spring. And they deal directly with me rather than having to deal with all of the different provincial people that are requesting funding. So it's a really great partnership and, uh, and program to have that level of funding come from them. But a lot of kids come on different, other different ways too. They do lots of different personal fundraising, speaking at um, service clubs or doing fundraising in their schools with bake sales. It's just any number of things. Uh, to, to get the funding in place. And then there's the pieces of, you know, applying for a passport and um, doing the online registration for the camp itself and talking about planning the flights and what it's going to be like to go on this trip and learning all of the different parts that are involved. Some of these kids have never experienced. 
And then we try to get all of the kids together from Alberta and BC, if possible, to travel together. And or at least in BC, we'll meet in Vancouver overnight before and then travel together as a team. And um, once we get there, it's uh, game on at space camp for a week of amazing adventures. Let's talk about some of those amazing adventures because there there is some really cool stuff that you guys do down there. Um, Dan, do you want to do you want to talk about some of the uh, some of the different tracks that they've got? Are you're you still doing the um, the two tracks, I assume. Uh, the uh, well, actually, we're we're up to three now. Three now. Okay. Um, we do the we do the astronaut training, uh, which is uh, space camp, space academy, advanced space academy. And then we do the Aviation Challenge, which is the Top Gun Fighter Pilot program, and that's a Mach 1, Mach 2, and Mach 3 program. And we're now, we just finished our third year of robotics, which is a relatively new program for Space Camp. We always let them run it a couple years, get the bugs out, and then we sort of stick our toe in the water and see how it'll work. And um, it's running real good now. We don't get a high volume of numbers, in that we usually only have between 10 and 14 kids but uh, for the most part that's running well so we've got those three options that a child can come down and participate in I think Rob and I want to go for the Top Gun training (laughs) yeah (laughs) Maverick I'm Maverick you're Goose I don't want to be goose. He dies. Thanks a lot. At least, can I be Iceman at least? I don't, I don't technically think you want him to be Maverick either. Now, I should I mention that Steve has been to Sinus. Yes, he has. Yeah, and, back in 2004. Um, did get the full experience for sure because um, he was, you know, a lot of our kids that we bring from Canada tend to be middle and high school aged students. Um, a couple of the sort of guidelines, I guess I'd call them, I recommend is um, that it's, you know, the middle and school and high school years are uh, easier, sort of, I should say, for the long distance that we travel to take a student away from home. I like the students to have already participated in a summer camp a week away from their families so that they've, you know, they're well-versed in what it's like to be away from home for a week. I have had homesick kids from Canada down there, and it's not fun. (laughs) Sure. So um, we typically take the older students. And also because the the higher-level programs like Mach 3 and Advanced Academy offer, um, you know, the scuba diving and the high ropes course elements, which are, you know, over and above what – these kids certainly have ever done in their life and at that age level are really pushed to challenge themselves in that way. Not to say that the elementary kids don't get the full package either because those kids are experiencing some pretty incredible things too. But I just, for me, I'm more comfortable bringing the middle and high school age students on that distance. So can we talk a little bit about, you know, what, what you guys really see the the kids getting out of the camp um you know i you know at that age you're absolutely right i mean i I think that even just being a week away from home is is a is a big deal and it's a real sort of a a milestone for for these kids but but what other aspects of space camp is really um benefiting them in your eyes 
Dan, it's your time to ooze. <laughs> ooze and I'll try not to dirty the microphone. Um, I, I think uh, I think first and foremost, from the space camp perspective, it's the uh, practical application of um, STEM-related fields to the real world, and and that's what I think that's what space camp wants to get across to. Uh, parents and schools and students who attend, but I think more from our level as uh, teachers and professionals who work with blind and visually impaired kids, the social aspect of coming uh, to a place where there's, you know, 150 to 200 blind and visually impaired students, um, and and they sort of level the playing field there to where the kids come in and they can put down their guard for a week. They don't have to worry about people asking them, you know, why their why their eyes don't look right, why they wear sunglasses, why they use a cane, all those things that kids get asked all the time in a public school area. And they can come there, and everybody's on the same page. And it's socially, it's it's really a, an amazing transformation. But for a child to come in who's never been around that many blind and visually impaired kids uh, begin with and then finding themselves not only surrounded by you know 16 to you know 35 kids in their particular group but also you know 150 to 200 kids from uh, from foreign countries who they can relate to as well and it's it's uh, we've seen some pretty remarkable stories over the years haven't we Lynn? You certainly have. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually, I, I really would like to share the student story of why this SIVIS came into my life um, because it changed both our lives when it happened um, in 1997. I had a student named Mark who uh, Dan and Steve both know very well. He's now, oh my gosh, he's probably 30 now, which scared me crazy to think of. You're you're old, Lynn. Yeah, I know. I had the fortune of being his vision teacher from K to 12. And um, in grade six, Mark, he has albinism, ocular albinism, and uh, he was really struggling. He was uh, moving into the middle school stream. He was feeling uh, very self-conscious about his appearance. Um, He was being teased and picked on at school that age can be very difficult and Mark became quite um, depressed and anxiety ridden and was often having suicidal thoughts and his parents were extremely concerned and were frantically looking for ways to help their son and they came across in a parent magazine the story about Saivis and uh, keep in mind this was back in 1987 I was still pretty young back then and my daughters were two and four and they said Lynn would you be willing to take Mark to this camp if we paid for it and I'm like where is it and they're like Alabama and I'm like where's Alabama (laughs) (laughs) so um down south y'all yeah that was the beginning for me and Mark of of Saivis and we were the first Canadians to attend that camp and um Mark, on the very first day, met a high school student that had albinism. 
was quite tall and Mark looked up at him and his little head was shaking because his nystagmus was so strong pronounced back then. And he said, you look just like me. And it was such a powerful moment um, for Mark to finally meet somebody who looked like him and had the same issues as him. And he met other students that were, were like that and beyond that week. Uh, Mark participated in the Aviation Challenge Program. He actually got the top award, the top guy, uh, the Right Stuff Award, which is awarded to student who, you know, shows leadership and, uh, and just really is a t top notch kid. He shone that week. He helped other students. He embraced the program. And I think he came back with me like probably at least three more times throughout his middle and high school years to participate in the different programs. And he went on to become sort of in the assistive tech world of, uh, of computer technology and, uh, I think he's working right now for an office building and working on their, you know, their servers and, and computer type work. So um, that is how it started. I didn't actually meet Dan until the last night after graduation. And I was so blown away by what I'd witnessed there that year for my student, but also experienced myself in meeting teachers of the visually impaired from all over the world. It's, it's very beneficial in that way as well because we get to, you know, collaborate and network and learn new things about what's happening in our field with lots of different teachers. And I just said to Dan, like, how am I going to go back and, and make other people, help other people understand what we've just experienced here? And, and Dan just looked at me and he said, Lynn, all you can do is spread the word and bring more kids and teachers back. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 21 years is, is getting as many teachers and students back there that, as we can. Um, all because of Mark, really, if Mark and his family yeah, for that. Truly. Are you guys crying now? We, we are actually, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of staring off reminiscently think, thinking about you in that super sexy jumpsuit. Oh. <laughs> Your we space, do wear you, flight suits. You, you and Cheryl in your space girls outfits. Yeah, yeah, we do. I call that my moneymaker because you wear that flight suit to a fundraiser, a fundraiser with, you know, an alliance club or whatever. And, they're, you know, you show the video and you talk about what these kids get to experience. And it's, it's usually a pretty, it's a pretty official looking suit, Dan. I, I call mine the credibility costume. <laughs> you, can, you can wear that anytime I'm at a conference. Um, I'm at a hotel or you know conference room area, and I need something. I always make sure I have my flight suit on first, because as soon as you walk into the area or up to the front desk, they go, oh, well, let me get that right for you, sir. <laughs> and they, they really hop, too. So, uh, yeah, it does work. Yeah. Now, now Dan, the... the um Space Camp is is actually an ex NASA facility, correct? Uh, wrong. Wrong. Um, it is the the. It's a common misconception. Everybody calls it NASA Space Camp. I, and I've always said, if NASA was in control of the budget, we'd been closed years ago. <laughs> but, um, it's uh, by by law the the NASA has to have uh, the thirteen NASA centers located in the United States have to have. A visitor center that's open to the public and the Hunts Huntsville area has a visitor center um, 
for Marshall Space Flight Center located at Space Camp. It was actually there first. The U.S. Space and Rocket Center uh, was the NASA Visitor Center, and that's what the primary purpose was. And that opened many years before Space Camp did. And then one day, the Ed Buckby, who was the person who got us started beside as the director, was walking around the grounds with the um, with Werner von Braun, and and Werner was speaking about all the children there on these field trips, and said, you know, Ed, it's great that these kids are here. There's but, but why isn't there a camp for them? There's football camps, there's baseball camps, there's cheerleader camps. Why isn't there a science camp where kids can learn about space? And, and you know, Von Braun was the, the, the consummate rocket scientist, but not the public relations guy. So Ed's background was in public relations. And he says, ah, we'll see what we can work up. So he invited his daughters and some friends over to the museum um, at, at night for the weekend and uh, put together a little program with space science and launched some rockets and did some stuff. And that's how Space Camp was started in the sense like, hey, this worked. And uh, so in 1982, they opened up Space Camp and it's run by the Alabama Space Science Exhibits Commission, which is a governor appointed board um, from the state of Alabama. And it is completely separate from NASA, except in the sense that we do get some of their retired artifacts that we can use in our trainings and stuff. And certainly, too, um, you know, um, astronauts, retired or otherwise, make appearances at the camp. Yep. And we've had the honor of having some of them, you know, show up during Cybiz Week, uh, as well yeah, as. That's uh, for sure. Homer Hickam, who was one of the original rocket boy, I guess he is the original rocket boy from West Virginia, and yeah. uh, he he is often at graduation to speak. And then um, Dr. Craig Moore Moore, who does work for NASA as a mm -hmm. physicist, he studies the makeup of stars, and he is blind, mm -hmm. and he comes and speaks to the students, the high school programs each year at Cybis. Um, the kids really get a chance to learn and see. The motto of Cybis is just because you can't see the stars doesn't mean you can't reach for them. And there's many examples throughout that week that the kids become and feel empowered to do whatever they, they want to do in life. And that must be really incredibly rewarding to be, to, to be able to sit and watch these kids um, be pushed and, and to overcome these obstacles and do things that even themselves have probably had no idea that they, that they could do. Maybe. Absolutely. I mean, if you go on the CIVIS website, um, there's a great, well, there's a couple videos, but the a AMI actually did a video a few years back. They came down with uh, Mark DeMontis and the, the program Sports Access. And they did a story on the Canadian team that year that participated. And you can see some pretty, pretty cool moments of kids pushing themselves beyond what they felt, you know, they were capable of doing. Well, let's talk a little bit about the fun part. Like, what, what does a, a typical day at Space Cap look like? Dan, you're on. Okay, I'm on again. <laughs> All right, well, the, the kids get up relatively uh, early, I guess, from... I, I, in years since I've been to a camp, but they're up at the 
six thirty, seven, seven thirty. If you get older, you get up earlier, and you start your morning with uh, with your first meal, and uh, that in itself has so many learning possibilities for kids who are visually impaired going through the line with your tray and and being in charge of what you eat and, and asking for this and asking for that and um, it, it starts off I think that's a, a great way to do it and they're sitting with their teams and each team is made up of about anywhere from 12 to 16 kids and then after breakfast they go into the with their team and they um, they may have training they may have their mission they may have a briefing on rockets. They may be building their rockets. Uh, they may have another briefing on space or what medicine is like in space. And um, it just it, all of these all of these different classes sort of feed into the into the child for all the information they need to do their missions. And uh, that's the day. And then they stop for lunch. And then they go back to it. They stop for dinner and then they're back at it again. So the day starts around seven and ends up around seven or seven thirty. The older kids goes late as nine thirty or ten at times, and it is a full day. It's uh, something that uh, we've had to learn to have parents adjust medications because those kids who are a little hyper, their medicines usually run out by the time the school day's over. And, space camp we've got five more hours to go so we, we need to keep those medicines flowing and uh it, it's it's a very long day uh very taxing on the kids a lot of attention that needs to be paid to things and uh and as lynn said the social interaction as well there's simulators which the kids get to participate in the one six chair uh shows them what it's like to bounce around on the surface of the moon and they have a Another one called the multi-axis trainer, which sort of puts them inside uh, the center of a gyroscope and spins them around in, in uh, lots of different directions. There you go, Steve. And the moonshot, which is an outdoor three-story simulator, which throws you up uh, about 150 feet in the air and then lets you free fall oh, halfway back down. <laughs> so those things are those things are pretty cool. Yeah, and, you know, it sounds, some of those things can be challenging when you're, you know, you know you're going to be shot up 150 feet in the air, and like as a blind child, you can't really see what, what this is going to look like, but, you know, some of these kids will do it, and they'll want to do it like 10 more times, so. Yeah, they, I've seen kids cry the first time, and then they run around and do it again, and they always say, well, tell me when it's going to happen, and I say, well, by the time I tell you, it'll be over, so, um, <laughs> It's a real, it's tough on them. And Lynn, Lynn is one of the queens of the uh, high ropes course. So we'll talk about that. The high ropes course is, um, well, it used to be called the leadership reaction course. I'm not sure what the actual term is. Yeah, it still is. I just is refer it? to it as the yeah. high ropes course. Um, yeah. So it's a high ropes elements and low ropes elements. And eight years ago when they developed this course, um, they didn't, Space Camp really felt like, you know, perhaps Cybiz kids couldn't participate in this. I think they were just thinking about ch the challenge and the difficulty and safety pieces. So Becky Coakley from West Virginia, myself and Dan went down in the summer and we did the elements blindfolded. And we talked about, you know, simple adaptations that needed to be made. And since then, Cybiz has participated. And 
in the high ropes course um, every year. And the staff says that our kids do it better than most sighted kids and uh, approach, you know, approach it with a better attitude. And uh, it's basically two elements. One is a climbing wall, a 50 foot climbing wall. And once the kids get to the top, they're attached to a zip line and they have to lean forward and go off the tower with a zip line. And then the other element is a pamper pole, which is about 30, 40 feet. And they climb yeah, this. Thir 32 feet. Yeah. 32 feet. They climb this. Yeah. Pole is not, it's like a telephone pole. It's not st sturdy. It's, it wobbles. And once they get to a t the top, it's a 12-inch disc on the top that they have to stand on and eventually stand up, turn, and then take the leap of faith, jumping off the pole. Now, both of these elements are, are done while in harness and on belay lines with their teams. So it's a real team effort to hmm. um, support, you know, the kids as they each go up and, um, and really is a true sign of the kids pushing themselves beyond themselves they mm -hmm. ever imagined things they would do. So it sounds like there's a there's a real mix of sort of uh, physical activities as well as um, I guess you know I, educational I would, educational stem, activities. Stem are, are are they mm -hmm. all mixed together, um, or or do you do just sort of the physical elements first, and then as the week progresses, it, it sort of transitions into the educational, or is it all sort of just sort of jumbled together? Yeah, it is. It is all sort of jumbled in. I mean, we have um, with 179 kids this year and anywhere from 12 to 16 per team, we had 14 teams that the older kids are the only ones that does does the high ropes. But all these other facilities are used by each team. So scheduling is the key to it. And they have a scheduling department at Space Camp who does a wonderful job of of you know, rotating all the kids and all the teams through all these different uh, components of the camp. So it's uh, quite a logistical um, uh, program from the sense of the scheduling office. And uh, like I said, they do an amazing job. It's it's crazy how I always call it like a 16 ring There's <laughs> stuff going on all the time and the kids flow through and they may start off with the you know physical challenge and then they go to a, a briefing and you know it's just it's just all it all depends on the schedule it sounds like the numbers really fluctuate from year to year is does that sort of act as a bit of a organizational challenge every year no no it really doesn't um you know you i used to be obsessed with getting 200 kids and and then I just thought, you know, the best thing to do is to make the best program for the number of kids who, who do show up. And uh, it, it isn't really from the aspect of space camp. They, it's their favorite week of the year, I hear, from, from them as, a, as an organization. They love SciViz. But during the summer, uh, they get 900 kids a week. So for us having 179, it's sort of a, a little bit of a downer for them as far as numbers go, but uh, labor intensive nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're the only camp that's there that week just because we require a lot of space. 
especially in the cafeteria and uh, yeah. a lot of, you know, extra time on the staff's part for sure. And, you know, there's usually, how many the, teachers were there this year, Dan? How many what? Vision teachers this year. Um, I had 74. Yeah. So you've got a lot of yeah. extra and adults the, as well. And the equipment that we use, especially in mission control is so many adaptations to it. And uh, so that's sort of, when they prepare for SIVIS, there's a lot of changes that needs to be made to the uh, equipment, and it really isn't conducive to having another group there at the, at the same time. Right. Well, the other thing I sorry would love to mention is um, getting the word out, you know, across the country. Um, hopefully, this will be one of our avenues um, that if there are, you know, teachers or parents or students that are hearing this, that are interested to please contact, you know, contact us. And um, there are, are definitely ways to be collaborative and work on getting students there. They may not have a vision teacher, or they may not have, you know, an avenue to to get to SIVIS, but we're certainly willing to, to help and work on that. Um, I find the numbers have become lower in the last few years. Um, it is It is getting more expensive from a, exchange rate point of view as well as you know the, the tuition costs and airline costs increasing so it's a you know we have quite a budget when we have a student who who wants to attend there are scholarships available through um, Dan and the SIVIS website that certain students would qualify for but um, there there have been challenges because of the uh, change in field trip policies to the United States um, and just different, you know, funding challenges to get to get the kids here, there. So, um, but there are lots of us who are willing to help. Can we talk, can we flip the script a little bit and talk a little bit about the vision teachers experience and, and what they generally get out of this? I think speaking for myself, you've heard my story and, you know, it's it's wonderful when I get to see I have many teachers who return regularly with students. Um, Dan has the same, you know, from across the world. There are, it's usually quite a reunion now, several of us who, who return regularly here. <laughs> um, yeah, that's for sure. And there definitely is a social aspect to that as well because we're, we've all become close friends and uh, we spend a lot of time together. But, um, you know, teachers that come down there are, they're learning as well along with their students. And for us to see our students in a different setting is is priceless because we get to sort of see some of the other things that we really didn't know were lacking or were um, great things about the kids that we didn't know about. So it puts, it gives us a different lens to look at our students and experience with our students. And then the professional development to you know, have breakfast with a teacher from Australia, and talk about what they're doing in the Braille world, or mm -hmm. um, you know, anything like that is is priceless as well. It's it's sort of my job, Brian. To I'm, I always say I'm sort of the principal for the week in charge of these teachers. Um, Space Camp takes care of the kids. I'm the one that's responsible for the chaperones, and it it is a it's it's. I mean, I, I figured out years ago, you make the chaperones happy 
and then they'll want to come back again. You know, they they enjoy coming back because they have a good experience, but they just can't come back because they want to. They have to have children to bring because people always ask, well, how can I come and volunteer? I, I don't need volunteers. I need kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, if, if you want to volunteer, find some kids, bring them to camp and and you'll you'll have a good time. And we we try to I try each year to do something um you know, from a professional development standpoint, for the uh, for the teachers this year, we had um, uh, Freedom Scientific uh, on site with, and they did a little class on one of the new Braille note takers uh, for the teachers. And next year, we're planning on doing something again. And um, Freedom Scientific is uh, partnering with us a lot more than in any other company that is out there. So uh, they provide Braille note takers for the week for the kids to use in mission control. So um, Very cool. those are the kinds of things that I try to do. We do a field trip out to Ivy Green uh, for the teachers, which is where Helen Keller, that's Helen Keller's birthplace. Oh, wow. So you get teachers in from you know, all over the world who know who Helen Keller is, and then an hour away, they can go out to her birthplace and museum and see that. So that all sort of goes on behind the scenes. Uh, and I usually, I try to organize all of that just to keep the just keep the chaperones happy. Sure. Steve, we need to find some kids and send Rob. <laughs> yeah. Wait, why just send me? Yeah. Well, I want to see. And, and I and like like Lynn was like Lynn was saying earlier, um, you get to see your your kids through a different lens. I'll have mm-hmm. teachers. I'll have teachers tell me that um, I've learned more about my kid in one week than I have in a year. Yeah. Because they see these kids first thing in the morning when they come out of their room. And, of course, at school they show up all spit and polished because mama or dad's taking care of them in the morning. And here at space camp, they're in charge of themselves. And they come downstairs, their shirt's on backwards or <laughs> their socks don't match and all of that. And then all of a sudden it becomes, oh, so maybe – as an educator or as a teacher, I need to spend a little bit more time on some daily living skills with these kids mm. as opposed to the academic portion because they really do get to see things. And like Lynn said, the, the whole airport um, experience is such a valuable thing. I had a kid years ago who uh, got a scholarship to the uh, Emil Freeze Piano Tuning Hospital in Vancouver, Washington. And for him to fly all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast by himself as a, as a high school graduate, he said it was absolutely no problem because he said, I've been through the airports five times on my way to space camp, and I was very confident in what I did. He says, I understood everything. So they, they, get, these, they get these little experiences on the side, which you don't, you don't really you know, figure into the program. But uh, it, it's a it's a really good thing for the kids to get these little side these little side experiences. They're not. Uh, the, they're not really the last little night side after graduation, they have a dance for the kids, um, the the grades seven to twelve kids, and it has to be one of the highlights. Well, it it has to be one of the highlights of the of the week for these kids. I mean. Most of these kids don't go to school, high school dances, um, you know, and these kids are free to dance and sing and and listen to the modern music. And uh, 
I mean, it's just absolutely priceless to see that on the last night of space camp. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it, it really is a transformative experience for a lot of these kids. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that yeah, you know, and that no doubt about that. And and so you know, we we can't really undersell um, the importance of a, of a program like this. Well, we need to get the word out to more and more um, kids and teachers. That's my biggest frustration is is how to get the word out nationally. I think I think the three of us yeah. need, the, need those jumpsuits. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need, we need jumpsuits. Yeah. <laughs> you can order them off the Space Camp website. Oh, excellent. Okay, Steve. <laughs> Christmas get, is coming. <laughs> let's get it going. Uh, no, listen. You, uh, let's let's uh, talk once again. I I know we we kind of touched on it, but um, I, I we don't want to undersell this. But tell everybody if they're interested, if if they know uh, a kid, or if or if their kid it, they think it would be a good fit. Where can they get more information, and what's the the application process like? Well, I'll start off with the application process, and then Lynn can handle it from the Canadian side. Um, the application process is um, we have a website. It's uh, sciviz.org, S-C-I-V-I-S dot org. And when the applications are available, it's all online. Um, I know from Lynn's perspective, she wants to be in contact with the Canadian kids first, so I'll let her address that. Yeah, it's just easier um, if the you know the families or the students or the teachers get in touch with me because I can help them with the uh, certainly with the military police applications. The timeline for that is uh, I usually receive them by February and then send them into Ottawa uh, to the board by March, and they usually look at them in April. Uh, so we know about funding. This year, they actually funded every student that applied. Oh, wow. Um, full funding of tuition and travel cost. Uh, they do not pay for the teachers. They do not pay for the chaperone. And we should clarify that um, parents cannot be chaperones at SciViz. The, the feeling is that if students aren't ready to come without their parent, they're not ready to come to SciViz. Uh, teachers of the visually impaired, orientation mobility instructors, Braillists, people that are in the field of blindness and visual impairment are typically the people that come as chaperones. Um, and so getting in touch with me and then I can assist in the fundraising process for the military police side of things, but also make suggestions as to other other options. We've had kids use GoFundMe pages to get sponsored to go to Cybiz. Um, and then to support them through the application process as it goes along to get to camp and and the transportation pieces and the, all of the, you know, what the teachers need for documentation to take students across the border and all of those those pieces. So, so sorry, just to step in here to clarify. So every every kid who applies, they require their own chaperone? No, not necessarily. No. Um, we from Canada. I mean, we've typically had teachers bring kids, but in BC, because it's this is sort of the heart of is from a Canadian perspective, because this is where it all began. We have a lot of teachers that have gone, and we have a lot of teachers um, that are willing to go back and sh like we'll share kids, like we'll take kids together, or um, 
BC Blind Sports sends Mike Lonergan every year as our male chaperone. So that really helps because there's not a lot of males in our field and he can be the token male, but he has also brought students with him as well. Okay. Yeah, and we, I mean, we had a young man who came on a scholarship this year from India who was totally blind and he flew unaccompanied and came the whole way by himself from Mumbai. So you don't need a chaperone. Um, it's not necessary. But uh, in the sense of um, if you want to, bring one along. Um, I, I, I hesitate to say bring as many chaperones as you want because <laughs> there is, a, there is a, a point to which we would have too many, but we've not been there yet. But if the, the more the child needs as support, uh, we're interested in having a chaperone there. Child comes in who's got his deaf blind. We would encourage either two or three chaperones to come with that student because you can't do the intervening with that child on you know 18 hours a day. You have to have a shift, and uh, we'd be more than happy to have that. There's a, a cost of $75 as a chaperone for the week, and uh, you get your all your food and place to place to live for that. Not bad at all. Yeah, so it's it's really the cost of the flight for the chaperone, and then. The nominal fee of 75 US for room and board for the week. The program cost, and maybe you should talk about that this year. Yeah, the, the prices went up again this year, um, as, as everything does. Uh, and from the US, uh, in the US dollars, I think the cost for uh, all the camps except the Advanced Academy camp are, I think it's 965 US. And then, um, I'm not too sure, but I think it's for the Advanced Academy program, which is grade uh, 10 through 12. Um, I think it's 11.65, maybe. It's somewhere in that ballpark. So I'm able to send interested people sort of a, a, a budget of what the costing is for all of the different pieces you have to consider when leaving Canada to go on this trip. I think Steve should share his side of his experience. <laughs> I was thought I, that earlier, but I was I like, he's not have, going to. <laughs> I actually have. I, I, we've talked about it before on the show, and I've, I've cussed out Carmine from New York. <laughs> Poor Carmine. Uh, why don't you tell the story again? We have we have new listeners. Well, I, I, I went down with Lynn in uh, uh, 2004, I believe it was. Um, and it, it was that first year that they were doing the uh, the ropes course. Um and uh, I am uh, I am notoriously afraid of heights, uh, so I looked at a couple of those things and and immediately said, "Hell no, I am I am not doing these things." Um, and I was uh, I was standing around one day watching the uh, the the climbing wall. So they've got this fifty foot climbing wall with the zip line coming off of it, and uh, it, it was pretty remarkable because I think that year uh, every kid who was in the program did that wall um, and it was the first time I think that that they'd ever had every kid from from any class um, do that wall. yeah that's true yeah yeah so uh, uh, anyway so I'm standing around watching it and and uh, chatting with this this kid Carmine from New York and he says oh you got to go oh no no, no I'm not I'm not gonna go well the next thing you know he's 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 rounded up peer pressure <laughs> and uh, 
And I'm saying, no, no, look, you know, I weigh too much. You know, you know, it's just kids on the belay line. So Carmine goes around and he gets like the biggest kids that he can find. He says, okay, I, I, I got, I got three of the biggest kids for your belay line. I said, oh, God. And of course, Lynn's buddy Cheryl, who was who was down there too, she she gets in on the act. She says, I'll climb alongside you. I said, oh Jesus. So the next thing I know, I've got kids chanting my name, telling me I gotta do it. <laughs> Carmine's Carmine's threatening threatening to drag me up there himself if I don't go. So, uh, so yeah, so I start on the uh, start on the climbing wall, and I think I made it about a third of the way up before I froze. And Cheryl's sitting there; she's she's sort of egging me on. And then I hear Carmine's voice from behind me go, "Okay, we got four on the belay line now," and that was enough to get me going up for about another third. And then I got up and I froze up again, and uh, and then I hear Carmine say, "Okay, we got five on the belay line now," and uh, I, I finally did make it up to the top of the uh, of the climbing wall and, and stood there and shivered for a while <laughs> uh, before I finally finally got down on the zip line and, and kissed the ground when I got to the other end. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, peer pressure. Peer pressure, it'll it'll do nasty things to you. Works all the time. Yeah. I refer to it as positive peer pressure. Yeah. <laughs> but see, look at that. But Good see, you accomplished something that you didn't think you could do. That is true. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't have to change your shorts. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, ask me if I'd do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Call in, Carmine. <laughs> uh, well, listen, you know, we, we want to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us about it. Um, you know, it's been a, it's been a topic that we've wanted to cover um, in its own episode for a while now so uh, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you guys about it and such an incredible program well thank you for having us hopefully the, the this helps in another way to get the word out there well I think our listener numbers are up to yeah, at least two sure. or three now so you know yeah, yeah. so I don't know Steve does your mom want to <laughs> hopefully your mom will be interested in <laughs> No, uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, again, a, a, anybody who is remotely interested, it's an incredible program. Check out the website. Uh, we will have the link in the show notes as well. I don't yeah, know. and Steve can also... Yeah, our, our camp this year will be... Uh, yeah, we, we start oh, yeah. the last week, uh, the last Saturday of September, which is, I think, going to be the 26th, which is our start date, which is Saturday. And then we'll graduate on Thursday night, which is the 3rd of October. And then all the kids leave on the fourth to fly home. So um, we will be our. This will be our 30th uh, anniversary. So we're hoping to collaborate with a group of uh, engineers and technical specialists and professionals who are have disabilities, and they're going to have their conference hopefully at the same time, and we can use their members as mentors for the kids. Nice. And um, we'll honor them at our graduation and. Um, should be a really cool program if I can get it all pulled together. So yeah, we should clarify that though too. So you're you're we're we're talking about uh, September October of 2019. So uh, correct. Yeah. So and the the application process does take a while. So actually, right now is the 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 prime time to be applying if you're interested. Is that correct? Well, just to start. Well, we moment. don't even our yeah. From Lynn's perspective, she has a a different timeline. Um, applications 
on the uh, on our on our website that links to Space Camp's website won't be available uh, probably until March, okay. April, May, somewhere in that area. Our scholarships um, usually. Um, close sometime around the 1st of April. We'll put those on the website this winter and uh, kids can apply for those. We have a number of different ones, but uh, and kids can apply for the ones that they're eligible for. You know, you can add, Steve can give you my email address. You guys have it and you can add that. And Dan's information is on the side of his website. Why don't you give us your email address again? It's Lynn, L-Y-N-N dot langell l-a-n-g-i-l-l-e at sd like school district 23.bc.ca perfect and you can also find that link in the show notes as well we'll make sure to tag that all right guys well listen uh thanks so much for for joining us uh Thank you. I was trying to think of, I don't know, space yeah, terminology, but I, well. I, drew, I drew a blank. I was just like, this has eclipsed all other episodes. You could say like to infinity. And- <laughs> uh, that might be copyrighted. Yeah, we don't want to get sued. <laughs> we have enough problems. And, and you guys have a standing invitation anytime you want to come down. Oh, okay. All right. We're awesome. crashing space oh, camp. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah, there. They, they have adult programs, and I think we're going to run an adult program the weekend after SciViz, because that's when we have all the adaptations up. Um, so we're going to have an adult, we'll have an adult weekend. So that's a Friday to a Sunday. Great, we'll re- AT banter from Space Camp. Yeah, we're right. We'll record from the top of the uh, the climbing wall just for Steve. Yeah, yeah. come on, Steve. It'll be an hour of us egging Steve on. Yeah, bring bring an extra fifty yeah, foot cord the, so that I can no, stand I'm at the bottom. Steve wall climb. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Thanks so much, right. and uh, you guys okay. take care. Okay, you too. Bye. Okay, thanks. Bye. 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 Wow, AT Banter's going to CSUN. We're going to Space Camp. We have a busy year, 2019. Oh, man. AT AT Banter's going to need to get a budget. That's right. Wait, what's our our income stream? Uh, Yeah, Uh, that's a good question. We've we've talked about maybe starting one. Throw Patreon on our website. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. We'll we'll start with a bake sale. GoFundMe. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, yeah, no, that was I was so nice to get them on. Finally, how long have we been trying to get them on for? I almost had them on last year, and then yeah. things fell apart. So, no, wait, year. wait, Steve. So you've only gone once? I, th- I th- yeah, no, was, just one time. Oh, really? Yeah, mm, yeah, I remember that though. I, I, I don't know. I guess I always assumed that you you went more than that, but no. It, it, the The problem for me with Space Camp is is that. Um, it, it happens at exactly our busiest time of the year. Yeah, sure. School's yeah, back yeah and, that's true. You know, so it, it's it's hard to get away for a week uh, when that's going on. Um. Well, anything else to say about that? Anything? Anything? Yeah. Only only if uh, you know there are listeners out there who uh, think this is uh, this is something that uh, they'd want to get involved with. Uh, reach out. Re- reach out quick. Get it. Get uh, get on board because it it is a it is literally a transformative experience for yeah. these kids. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, my thoughts kept going back to, to an organization here uh, like Blind Beginnings um, who, mm-hmm. who sort of do a smaller scale um, version of this, you know, on a, on a regular basis. But, you know, it's just it's so important for these kids to, to realize that they're not, they're not limited by these 
by these boundaries that that society puts up against them all the time and you know it, it must be such an, a powerful epiphany to realize that yeah you know what i i can do these things that that i never i thought i could do well and and what's interesting about it is that in in certain cases like like that story with the climbing wall where every kid did it um there you, you get instances where these kids are actually better at at some things than than other kids and and you know they don't they don't get that reinforcement in their day-to-day life you know there, there's also this element of you know they're they're surrounded by peers for the first time they're they're not they're not the odd person out as they may be if they're if they're in a, a public school situation they're not you know it, it's it's an equal playing field yeah. um you know and and they have this built-in support amongst each other well you know that some of that is a side effect of, of mainstreaming in, in schools, right? Like the the education departments here decided a long time ago that that these kids should be part of the mainstream school thing, and that's that's great. Except that it does leave them oftentimes feeling isolated because they don't have a lot of peers around who who you know share their experience. With um, kids in residential schools, um, they do have that. So it might not be as big a deal for for them to get out to a program like this as it is for a mainstreamed kid to right. get out to a program like this, um, and to build those um, those networks, you know, because these kids when they when they meet at these things, you know, they develop social networks through through email, through social media, they stay connected with these kids, and they can be from all over the world. Right. So um, you know, they build their social circle, they build their their network of support. Um, there's a lot more to this than just showing up for science, technology, and, and math. Right. You know, this is a, a, a huge social opportunity and, and an enormous growth uh, opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what really needs to be said. You know, it's not, you know, they're not just climbing, you know, climbing walls and going on the, the gravity spinny thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Actually, I don't think they let us use the gravity spinny thing. I think there was some medical issue around the gravity spinny thing, you know, maybe being able to stop your heart or something. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. But that, that 150 foot uh, drop thing. That, that Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I've been on that one. That one's kind of fun. Oh, really? Yeah. I can't believe you would go on that. Well, you know what? There's something different about being strapped into a chair with shoulder harnesses and stuff and, and going up 150 feet and being dropped. Um, I actually went on the world's largest one of those in Australia. Really? And I don't remember how tall it was. It was it was freakishly tall. Um, my daughter, it was at a, um, it was at a, a, a park. Uh, I don't remember where. Uh, I think it was outside of Gold Coast, if I recall. Anyways, um, as you're driving up to the park, there's a water park on one side, amusement park on the other side, and you can go between the two. And uh, my daughter's looking at this thing rising up on the horizon you know and as you get closer to it you start to realize just how freakishly tall this thing is and she's like oh we gotta do that we gotta do that and it's like no hell no I'm not, I'm not doing that no no way no 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 and i'm looking at my wife who you know has no real fear of heights and she's not saying anything so we're getting closer and she's just bugging us and bugging us and bugging us and bugging us and, and so finally my wife's not stepping up so i go okay all right i'll, I'll do it with you so i got on the thing and uh 
uh, my wife recorded video of it and, <laughs> and you can watch as, as we're going up the thing, my daughter's sitting there in the chair and she's swinging her legs around, you know, she's looking around and I am just sitting there like a frozen <laughs> corpse in the chair, not moving one iota. And, uh, you get up to the top of that thing and you can see for bloody miles. Like you can just see forever. And, uh, and, and I swear the top of it sways in the wind as well, <laughs> which is really freaky. And then when you're sitting up there, you're waiting for the drop, right? And, uh, there's these little ticks. You just start hearing these chunks and ticks from behind you. And every time you hear one, you think, oh, it's going <laughs> to drop. Well, when they actually drop you, there's no kachuk. You just you just go, and uh, yeah, I got down to the bottom and all shaky at the at the bottom, and and uh, my wife goes, "Well, how was that?" I said, "That was that was freaking awful." She goes, "Oh, well, you should have said something. I would have gone." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, hey Ryan, Rob, where can people find us? Atbanter dot com. Such a such a quick and so dirty quick. answer. Just, yep. Boom. Down to a science. Plain and simple. Uh, they can also email us if they so desire, atvanterpodcast at gmail.com. Indeed they can. And apparently, if you stab yourself, it generates email. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Who knew? All we had to do all this time to get email was bleed a little. That's right. Almost three years of podcasting. Yeah. We finally picked up on it. Yeah. Figured it out. Yeah. Figured it out. Uh, where else can they find us, Steve? Well, those bloodthirsty little fans of ours can also find us on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and uh, what about Canadian Assistive Technology? Canadian Assistive Technology can be found online at www.canastech.com, C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com, or emailed at sales at canastech.com. Hey, now if you've got a piece of assistive technology and it's broken, Ryan, what are you going to do? Who are you going to call? You're going to call Chaos Technical Services. That's right, and they, they can. That's right, and they can be found at uh, www.chaostechnicalservices.com, or you can drop Mr. Rick Chant, the owner operator, AT Guru, uh, who runs the joint. You can drop him a line at chaostech at shaw.ca. Okay, well, if that's all, boys, I think that's uh, going to do it for this Monday. Okie dokie. Alrighty then. That's right. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. We've got a new we've got a new configuration in here, and I think it's important that we talk about our new configuration because we've had our microphone set up all the same way for the, for a while. Now we've got a, a nice you know individual setup, comfy chairs for everybody, and easy access to the cowbell. <laughs> yeah, this this is a little weird. We're kind of like in a triangle formation. We like it's weird. Like we can just we can all like look at each other and it's stuff. It's an alien symbol. Yeah, yeah, and, mm. and and of course we've also got jingle sticks. Yep. Yeah, I like it. I like it, Ryan. Excellent. But I would like to say that this episode has been one hundred percent less stabby than the last. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So far, yeah. it's not over yet. <laughs> That's right. We have to do the intro. Put the knife down, Ryan. You just do anything for letters, won't you? I'll try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. 
For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take. <laughs>